So, I'd like to welcome to the show today the man behind UK UAP on Twitter, Ash. How are you doing today, mate? Hello, Frank. How are you doing? Yeah, good to be here. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, good to have you here. The, actually, the second attempt because we've had a few technical issues uh, so <laughs> far, but uh, here we go again. Hopefully, this time everything will run smoothly. Um, so, yeah, I know you through Twitter. Obviously, that's where we first kind of like met. And uh, we were more formally introduced by Dave Smethurst, actually, as a, a lot of the listeners will now know Dave. He's been on the show a few times. Dave's a bit like the the guy in the UK who connects all the dots behind the scenes. He's, he's omnipresent. Everywhere you look, Dave's there. <laughs> but, joking he's a aside. Net, a networking guru, isn't he? He networks around <laughs> everyone talking. It's good. It's good to have someone like that in the he is indeed, yeah, and he's a top bloke, is Dave, and very, very knowledgeable about this topic as well. Me and Dave speak quite a lot offline, um, but yeah, obviously, joking aside, we've kind of um, we've spoken, um, me and you, Ash, quite a bit now offline as well. But for the listeners, can you go into a little bit about what got you interested in the UFO topic? Is it a bit of a lifelong thing for you, or more of a recent thing that you've got into? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'd say it's more of a lifelong thing, really. Always been interested in this kind of thing. Ever since a young age, really, as far back as I can remember, I always remember kind of going through uh, having books on the topic and things. Like that. I remember my dad had some some old books. I think they were like Reader's Digest books on like the unexplained and mythology and stuff like that. So I've always had an interest in it. Um, and then, yeah, that kind of you know went into my teens and, and then into adult life. And uh, yeah, and also experienced a few weird things throughout my life as well that's got me questioning things. You kind of think, well, that, that's not right. And then you ask more questions. You end up looking into the subject more and more, as I'm sure you've, you've found as well. You go down one path. Before you know it, you're down another rabbit hole and you're looking at all different aspects that kind of all seem interconnected and interrelated to, to the phenomenon or phenomena as it probably should be known more as. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's funny you mentioned about uh, about books as well. I think uh, me and you have spoke about this when we've talked offline. Um, one of the, the things that really kind of on an early age got me interested in, in this kind of thing is that Arthur C. Clarke Mysterious World book which I believe was actually a companion book to uh, the TV series, which I never actually saw. I just got the, I got given the book as a, uh, as a gift, really. Uh, I think it was from my, my grandma, uh, and there was various chapters in that actually to do with all kinds of different things, like uh, Bigfoot and strange kind of cryptid creatures and crystal skulls. I think was in there, yeah. and there was also a chapter on UFOs as well. And um, but have you got any any books yourself that you particularly like that have made a, a big impression on you over the years? Yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, more recently, I've you know I've become a bit of a, a bit of a uh, bookworm really, and I've been sort of buying up any books I can out of print ones. There's there's so so many books out there, particularly when we're talking about UAP research and, and the phenomenon. Um, there's so much out there that's out of print that we can learn from, and I think we have this weird generational loss of knowledge. So it's kind of like I've been trying to go back into rather than reinventing the wheel. What what did kind of those that came before us do? Um, so looking at Sort of books by John Keel, I think, is really good. There's, he was on some really good stuff there, I think. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've read quite a bit of John Keel. Um, Timothy Good's Above the Top Secret as well, when we're talking about accounts and, you know, different different incidents that have occurred. That's a really good book. Just looking at my bookshelf now to see what other ones I've got. I've got quite a few there. Um, there there's, there's absolutely loads. I mean, if we talk about more modern ones, I mean, I think uh, Ross Coulthard's new, new book is, is really good for anyone new to the topic. I think that gives a really good overview kind of where we're at now uh, although you know it probably needs an appendix put on there for the recent most recent updates but it's a really good start um there's so many good books out there i think it you know it's, it's what works for you find one that that enjoys you, you you enjoy and that works for you and then before you know it you're off on another path and you've yeah you, you kind of find your own own way to discover things in this topic i think but i think it would be really good to have a book list i think i've seen a few out there um but it would be really good to have kind of like a book list a starter's book list of like recommended reading kind of thing yeah um yeah it'd definitely be a helpful resource and i think there's actually the um uh, the the quantum witch cafe do a um uh, priscilla i believe her name is there oh, the book club they, yeah they do the the book club um i've, I've had listened to one or two of those and that's a really good idea it's kind of like a deep bit of a deep dive into you know specific books and actually um 
Exo Academian and Point of Convergence podcast, he actually has done similar things as well, um, delving into certain very important books. And and like you say, I think for me, John Keel and uh, Jacques Vallée in particular, you know, mm. just make a lot of sense to me the way that they talk about this topic. And I think it, it sort of inevitably, you know, leads you down that path once you've been looking into this for for a certain amount of time. Because it, to me, I mean, again, everyone's experience is different, but. For me, it sort of makes less and less sense that it's as simple as a nuts and bolts metallic craft, mm. you know, and, and it makes a lot more sense, uh, you know, the, the stranger aspects of, of reality and, and, and the, the idea of the super spectrum and things like that, you know, things existing in a, in a part of reality that we can't actually perceive as, as humans. That's a, a concept I find really fascinating. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I totally agree with you on that, Frank. I mean, for me, the more you look into this topic and the more you look at the associated, um, you know, the witness accounts and what's associated with that and what people report, the more you kind of realize it's not just nuts and bolts. There's far more to this than what meets the eye. And yeah, the idea of a super spectrum, something just slightly out of human perception, I think really does kind of make sense, really, when, when you look at what people have reported. Um and you know, and it seems feasible to me that, that 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 could happen. And perhaps occasionally, our perceptions are opened through whatever means. And you know, this other realm, these other realms bleed into this realm, and, and that's what that's what we see. You know, and people see it in different different guises and different ways. I mean, that that kind of makes sense to me. Mm. Yeah, we've kind of gone right in at the deep end here, haven't we? <laughs> but, but you know, nothing wrong with that. But like, um, it's something actually that came up on that. Um, we did a, an episode, the, the British Invasion, and uh, Max McCabe. Actually, I know you, you've spoken to as well. Yeah, um, top guy. Yeah, I speak with Max quite frequently. So yeah, yeah. What what he was asking was kind of how how do we all see uh, the ways that the sort of you know the the paranormal, for want of a better way of putting it links into the ufo phenomenon and um in particular he was he was asking about how it could be that sometimes strange paranormal things kind of seem to come before like a a big you know sighting or a a big experience that you might have um and how how do do you think that that somehow links in like how could it be possible that you could have strange experiences before an actual really really big event have you got any thoughts on that i mean i I don't obviously know but i have a lot you know theories i think there's definitely a consciousness connection um and again the more you look at this the more you, you you can see there must be a consciousness connection here um because when you actually delve into witness accounts and you actually you look at what people are actually reporting it it's the sighting is kind of the least for me it is the least interesting part really it's kind of what was the build-up to that you know i think sometimes investigators ask the wrong questions it's like what did you see well that's just a really small aspect of it for me it's more like what did you what were you feeling like at the time what were you doing immediately before this happened what happened in the days leading up to it because i think all of this is really key data that's being missed and i think it could help form the form a big the bigger picture and we'll start to understand more about what this phenomenon is or phenomena because it's more it's more than just one phenomena phenomenon i think i think it's phenomena uh what it means and i think that's that we, we need to stop looking at things in isolation and start looking at the um look at looking at what, what's happening holistically as well rather than just focusing on one aspect i think we need to look at all these multiple aspects of, of all these different types of phenomena that are occurring um so yeah i, th- I think there is definitely a consciousness connection and i, th- I think it's uh it manifests itself in, in this reality that we find ourselves in. The mechanism behind that, I don't know what that is. We can only theorize about that, but I think it's definitely an area of study that personally interests me, and I think a lot of people are missing missing a trick there. Mm. Yeah, I've I've heard it described as you know the the kind of the concept of um, certain types of anti gravity propulsion and things like that can actually have an effect on time, and that would explain some of the missing time that people. Um, experience you know then and in that context i think it would be a kind of a case of a side effect of the propulsion system of a kind of you know a relatively nuts and bolts type of craft perhaps you could say you know but there's also really strange you know feelings that people get during these experiences like feelings of terror and things like that and you know even strange beings and, and creatures like you know the kind of you know, like werewolf type things and all the rest of it and that is a bit harder to explain because that's not necessarily going to be the side effect of a propulsion system that 
have you got any kind of thoughts and theories as to how that could all come about? Well, I mean, we know in nature, um, different frequencies affect different things. So we know infrasound is, is, is a thing that's part of nature. And we know that different animals, um, you know, respond differently to infrasound. So we know, you know, for predators around certain animals will, will know there's a predator around because of different frequencies being put off. There seems to be some animals seem to be more sensitive and perhaps humans have lost that sensitivity because we now live in a, a very modern industrial world. We kind of lost that connection with, with the sort of caveman style of being a human, um, but perhaps people who are more sensitive to, you know, different phenomena happening around them have still got that connection with, you know, that natural connection and a bit more sensitive than other people. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe maybe frequency plays a part of it as well. You know, people pick up on that, on, on that, um, whatever that is happening. And it kind of, they have some sort of sensitive reaction and that invokes these experiences that people have. Um you know, I mean, we're going completely off the rails here, but I knew this had happened. But you know, I, I, I'm interested in I'm interested in all the associated phenomena. Now, I'm not saying it is or isn't real, but when you look at um, Bigfoot reports, for example, people talk about having that uh, innate fear. They kind of know something's watching them, and um, they have this sort of unhealthy, un- unexplained fear go over them. Now, again, um, it's been theorised that potentially this is infrasound, and that you know, if this is a whether it's a whether it's a, a flesh and blood creature, interdimensional creature, whatever you want to think it may or may not be, I don't know. Who knows? Um, that could be one explanation for it. That this this creature has evolved to um, use that as a as a kind of weapon almost, or or a defensive mechanism. So who's to say that you know when people experience UFOs, for example, that isn't a, a similar kind of thing? It could be a defense mechanism of the UFO. Who knows? We we just don't know. Uh, but I think pe- certain people are more sensitive than others to to the phenomenon. Mm. Yeah, do you think there's a, an aspect of it where it could be that certain people, once they've been exposed to something anomalous, whatever that something might be, because as you say, we're, we're proper off the rails here. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that nobody really understands, so it's all, all heavily based on speculation and, and that kind of thing. But do you think there's the possibility of, of once you've had an experience that you can be more susceptible to having further experiences and perhaps like a switch goes off or something once you've experienced something once? Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that people that experience these things, for whatever reason, their their doors of perception seem to be opened. Um, you know, you look, go, I'll go back to kind of like what Aldous Huxley was looking at in the doors of perception, his book that he wrote there, you know, and, and whether you're opening those doors of perception through um, an unknown means, i.e. it just happens to you, or whether you're actually doing it for other means through, you know, taking DMT or something, whatever it may or may not be, I think there are ways of opening up that perception. And once it's open, you do seem to be more susceptible to having other incidents, other events take place. Um, I mean, in the Skinwalkers at the Pentagon book, they talk about, you know, it almost being acting like a virus kind of thing. So it kind of spreads, you know, whatever it is that's causing people to experience this, it, it seems to keep occurring and spreading uh, and it can also spread to other people. So that that's really interesting as well. Um, you know, many people have you know uh, spoken about it being the hitchhiker effect um, and it seems to follow people around. So what's that all about? You know, that, that for me is quite an intriguing point as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that the the sense of fear and, and dread is is so common in these kind of experiences. You know, it it, it seems to be. I, I was talking to Philip Mantles uh, as well the other day, and and there's quite a few in the landings uh, that he talked about in his new book, UFO Landings UK. There's quite a few cases of, of similar things in that as well, as you mentioned, skinwalkers at the Pentagon. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. People have these experiences and are just frozen with fear. You know, like you say, the people in skinwalkers at the Pentagon. We're talking about you know hardened military individuals. We're not talking about you know people who are, you know wouldn't say boo to a goose kind of thing. You're talking mm. about people who have been through some pretty traumatic things and and they're frozen with fear. You know, it's it's really quite quite significant, isn't it? Would you reckon that's that's some kind of uh, an intentional effect brought on by whatever it is, whatever it is that's anomalous in that area, or do you think it's more of a side effect? I guess it could be both, couldn't it? I mean, I, I you know, if we're saying there's potentially multiple multiple phenomena, then perhaps on one, you know, one aspect it could just be an unintentional part of that. You know, it could be something in relation to if you, you know, if your theory around, you know, the gravity, et cetera, it could just be an unfortunate side effect of that. But then likewise, if, if some entity has found a way of using it as a defense mechanism or as a, you know, as even as an attack mechanism, then yeah, maybe, maybe that is something they purpose that purposely is, is done to someone that experiences this. Um, but I think once, as we said, well, once your perceptions open, 
I think you're kind of more prone to experience this. Um, and it's, I always find it interesting how some people, for some people, it's a fearful experience. Other people, it's like, you know, life changing. And it's kind of like they can put their whole outlook on life is completely different. Everyone seems to experience it slightly different, but it kind of, there doesn't, and then you get some people in the middle that are kind of like, they're just nonplussed about it. It's just, it's just really interesting how it affects different people, whether that's a cultural thing, whether that's kind of the whole nature nurture thing, you know, who knows, but it's just really interesting how it affects people in different ways. Mm. Yeah, we'll come back to that in a minute, but you know, in terms of the way that it affects people, some people have like overwhelmingly positive experiences where it completely changes the life in a positive way. And some people have horrendous experiences and obviously within like the ufo kind of community there's a bit of a you know a couple of different schools of thought on that you know some people think that we're talking about you know what they call love and light you know beings that are here to help us and Mm. don't mean there's any ill will and then obviously you have people who don't think that at all and think that this is some kind of sinister force that feeds on negative negativity and things like that do you think either of those is is like more viable as an explanation or do you think it's something even more complicated than that? Well, I think it's definitely more complicated than that. I'm not even sure our, our little pea-sized human brains can can comprehend it. <laughs> you know, we look at everything from a human perspective, don't we? Very, you know, anthropomorphic kind of uh, mindset, and I think that limits out that limits us. That limits where we go with this. Um, we're looking at things the wrong way. Um, my guess, my best guess, would be it's kind of nonplussed, really. Whatever this is, is you know, if it's multiple things. I think we always put ourselves at the top of the food chain, don't we, as human beings? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're the big dogs in town. But what if we're not? You know, what if we are actually, we think we are, but we're we're just animals in someone else's zoo. I think that's probably more likely what, what we are. And um, we don't really understand. We understand our little world. We're in our own little bubble. We think we know what we know. But actually, there's a whole other thing around it. You know, we are just that goldfish floating around in a bowl. And then there's a whole other world outside. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface. So... Yeah, I, I don't. I almost feel like it would be kind of naive of us to think that whatever this is is doing it to us because it wants us. It it, it wants something off of us. It might just be that it, it's nonplus. It's just there. Um, I mean, I, I, th- I thought it was quite interesting. Lou Elizondo and the whole chains of the sea book and everything like that. That that was brought up as a thing, you know. Um, and the concepts in that book are quite interesting. These creatures couldn't really care less about humans. Really, they weren't really bothered about them. They're just they're just there. You know, what what if that is the case? We're just there and there's a whole other world around us. We just can't see it. Uh goes back to what you were saying about the super spectrum. You know, perhaps there is this whole other world around us and we just can't see it. And occasionally it bleeds over into this reality and for whatever reason, doors of perception are open and, and then we can we start to get a little little peek at it, a little look through the window. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about. I mean, it's it's something that I've been trying to wrap my head around, like a you know a thousand other things that it's in this <laughs> topic that I, that I contemplate on a on a day to day basis. But you know, like like you said, as as humans, we have a tendency to look at everything with that sort of like human based like way of looking at things. Mm. And um, if you think of the, the whole idea that we have as humans as being like good or evil, you know that kind of thing. Like, do these things mean us? ill will or not sort of thing, and all the rest of it it's a lot a lot of the time it's it's not really like that in the rest of the natural world it's kind of i suppose you could say a, a fairly uniquely human thing to even think about things in terms of like good or evil and they say this is where we really have gone pretty deep you know <laughs> we've we've come a long way from flying saucers already in about 20 minutes haven't we but you know who's to say that if if other life has you know, formed out there in the universe, which I think it's kind of fairly safe to say that it definitely has. Um, well, definitely is a bit strong, but it seems to me very, very probable that there would be other life and some of that other life may have become advanced and um, become very intelligent. What if they just don't have the same concepts of good and evil as us? And like you say, they might be completely oblivious to us. If you look at the natural world, if you watch any, you know, documentaries about nature, you know, cats, for example, we we kind of, you know, look at them as being cuddly little friends. But actually, cats do some pretty, uh, pretty evil and, and vicious stuff. The way that we interpret it, but obviously, a cat doesn't look at it that way. You know, you think maybe other life could have evolved, become intelligent, but just not have the same concepts of good, of good and evil that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I think as humans, we're always looking for that duality, aren't we? We always think it's it's just black and white. You know, there's always a a positive, a negative, a yin and yang. There's always an opposite. Well, what what if there isn't? I think 
reality is there's a lot more gray areas, aren't there? Um, I mean, look at time, for example. Time is a human construct, really. You know, we've created seconds, we've created hours, we've you know we've created minutes. That's 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 an example of where we've just created something and we've just gone. Well, that's what it is, you know. But things aren't as simple as that, as that, are they? You know, and when you actually look break down what time is and you look at space time and you look at the physics around it, time's not as black and white as we think it is. It's malleable, you know. Um, so so yeah, I think as humans, we do always we are always looking at simple oversimplifying things and we always look at things particularly nowadays in, in the modern world in a very materialist reductionist way i think we've forgotten a lot of that previous knowledge that's there and i think there's almost been like generational loss of knowledge um yeah and which which kind of is a bit worrying really because you, you know people talk about cataclysms and stuff like that what if there was a cataclysm that happened it wouldn't take that many generations would it for all that human knowledge to be lost i mean if something happened tomorrow and we were reverted back to the dark ages, how many of us could start a fire from scratching two sticks together? How many of us could build a base camp and, and live off the land? Probably not many of us. Um, so I, I find that really interesting as well, how we, we always think we're at the pinnacle of, uh, our, of our advancement at the current time period. Um, I know we've spoke before, Frank, around ancient civilizations and things like that and how, how that might feed into this. Um, that's another really interesting area. You know, we could we could go all over the place with this this conversation, um, particularly when I'm here. So <laughs> I'll let you lead. It's your pod, but but yeah, it's it's an, it's really interesting, isn't it? To theorize about all this. Yeah, not and hey, nothing wrong with that, mate. That's why I've got you on here because I, I think you've got very interesting ideas about all this stuff. So feel free to let the conversation go wherever it takes you. You know, but you might yeah, regret it, that. It, <laughs> <laughs> as you say, it is it is a real area of fascination for me. You know, ancient cultures sort of like openly accepted that you know realms exist outside of our perception and reality, and that there may be entities there that you can communicate with. Or by adapting your consciousness through, like, obviously substances, deep meditation, depending on what part of the world, you know, what what culture you're talking about, and and somewhere along the line, we have kind of lost that appreciation for for those experiences mm. and started to sort of make it a taboo. You know, like if you said to somebody that you've you've communicated with entities from another realm, they just think you were crazy. They wouldn't think like, oh wow, that you may have learned something profound, but actually you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, people who had those kind of experiences were held up as kind of like very important people within within the society, yeah. you know, medicine men and, and shamans and things like that, you know. And I don't know, maybe I've heard it described as like kind of um, science and sort of like spiritualism, a kind of, you know, finding a meeting place somewhere. Perhaps we're starting to rediscover that, eh? I hope so because I think, you know, um, Going back to your point there, depending on you know your cultural upbringing and where you live in the world, you have an experience like that. You're looked as a shaman, you know. You're looked as a someone to be respected in the community. You've got knowledge, you've got wisdom. Whereas you you say stuff like that in a Western country, you can end up in a mental hospital. So it's kind of like uh, it is kind of finding that balance, isn't it? And um, yeah, hopefully, science and the spiritual side of things and the kind of more esoteric um, mysticism and that kind of stuff that they can meet halfway in the middle, and, and maybe we'll start. I'm picking some of this and, and getting somewhere with it because I think that's what it needs. Um, I think far too often we look at things in silos and we look at things individually. Um, there's so many multiple aspects of this phenomena. It, it kind of all needs to be looked at. I don't. I think everything should be on the table. We shouldn't be removing bits or trying to do everything in isolation because you're going to miss parts of the puzzle. For me, it's kind of like the only way to the only way to start finding these patterns and joining the dots is to look at everything look at everything holistically sorry my mic just flew off the uh <laughs> off the desk Altergeist activity that's yeah, what it is yeah it was a bit strange it just literally fell it's on a flat surface but who knows um but yeah <laughs> i think we need to look at things holistically when we're talking about you know the phenomena there's so many different multiple aspects of the phenomena um i mean that that's evidence isn't it by you know we, we only have to look at skinwalker ranch and the kind of stuff the dia we're looking at there um multiple different types of phenomena somehow interlinked um, it's the only way you're gonna you're gonna get. Um, I mean, we're never gonna get all the answers, are we? But if we even want to make headway or try to even understand certain components of what's actually going on, when you start looking at the whole picture, you can't just look at one tiny aspect because you're not gonna get anywhere. And I think that's that's where research has has been. And I think you know, looking to the future, we need that's what we need to do. We need to start bringing all this together somehow, and and not thinking that one as one certain uh, area of research knows more than another. It's kind of like 
all on the same level level playing field and, and, and then join the dots from there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's something I've been willing to do on the show in the past and and you know I always always will do hopefully is, is being able to speculate about some pretty kind of out there stuff, you know, that other people might perhaps um, you know, not not be willing to entertain as possibilities. But I think it's only by keeping all the options on the table, you know, as as you're basically saying there, and obviously Lou Elizondo and, and various other people have, have said the same. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that speculation and allowing yourself to imagine different possibilities as long as you balance that with kind of not going too far down any one rabbit hole and, and you know what I mean, focusing yeah, 100%. On, on just one thing. I mean, um, I think getting back to John Keel, this was always one of his sort of fundamental, one of his, you know, one of his major parts of his ethos was do not form beliefs because if you form beliefs, that's when you, you, you're just going down one track and you're going to miss stuff. You know, you're driving in the dark with just the headlights ahead and that's all you're going to see what's in front of you, missing all the, the rest of the, everything that's around you. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important to be open-minded, be health, healthily skeptical as well. But also don't form beliefs because once you do that, you're going down one direction. And this is unfortunately what we see with a lot of the the debunkers out there. It doesn't matter what you do; they, they they're setting out to debunk it. So straight away, even if it hit, hit you slap bang in the face and something was real, you're never going to accept it as real because you're, you're setting your table out, your stall out from the, the start. That well, I'm setting out to debunk it. So I think that's a really important thing. Don't form beliefs. It's it's kind of keep an open mind and see where it takes you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think personally, I mean, other people have have different, you know, opinions about this, but I think what they did, they did in OSAP was basically that. I mean, if you listen to the people who were actually directly involved, yeah, people people ridicule some of the things that came out of the studies because the the they're kind of weird, but actually, the the whole point was, you know, to to follow the data wherever it led, you know, and the actual people who were the the, the leading people in that effort. That's that's what they said their approach was, and it went into some strange areas. And does that mean that we abandon all of the findings that they came up with just because some of it was weird? I don't I don't think so. I think that's, that makes it even more interesting. But again, it's at the same time you shouldn't be accepting sort of like any one explanation for why that weirdness was there. It just kind of forms part of that bigger picture, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, imp- it improves the picture, doesn't it? it increases the picture. It's it's. It's adding to your overall understanding of what's going on. It's no different to like having building up your intelligence picture of something that's going on. You know, you don't just want one part. You want all the different parts and all the different parts together collectively will give you that that richer picture, that bigger picture of what's actually going on. And it's it's the same with this. You know, you shouldn't be discounting things just because it sounds a bit wacky. Um, and like you say, I think Orsap was was a prime example of that. And I always think, you know, had that not have been stopped and the and the money the, the the money for it the plugged you know pulled pulled from underneath it then uh you know where would it be now how far how much further along would they be you know with their research and understanding it, you know it's interesting to ponder that yeah absolutely and i think you're exactly right about skeptics as well by the way um i, I some again i remember even starting the podcast which funnily enough we're pretty much coming up to like around about a year since i started the podcast so congratulations been, uh, it's been a good year yeah, it's been, it's been it's been a mad year it's been it's been a lot going on and uh but no it's been a, it's been an amazing ride you know and uh i was already kind of interested in the topic obviously before that for i say for probably the last two or three years but the last year since having the podcast it just gives you that extra motivation to really look into things deeply but one of the things i've found interesting about getting really deeply involved in this topic is the kind of almost like the um what would you say the uh the, the sociological aspect of it, um, the, the people involved, you know, and the different camps that form, and the the various different sort of angles that, that people take, and yeah, it's so fascinating. Wagons, it's almost like a little, it's like a whole other science in its own right. You know, someone could write a thesis on on like like you say the the, the sociological impact of of, the, of this and how different groups react to it, and it's like a whole subculture and it's own right it's really fascinating i think isn't it like even if you're not interested in ufos to study it from a psychological sociological point of view is like really interesting yeah i mean and, and i think like i say i've you know been deep in this now for a little while so it's not as new to me as it as it was but i remember when i first kind of found out about ufo twitter i remember thinking like there was a separate app 
called UFO Twitter that someone had made. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize it was a hashtag at first. I just did talk, people talking about it on podcasts and stuff like that. But I remember when I first started to delve in, you know, there's so many different names that keep cropping up and various people who were sort of like known just on UFO Twitter. And what I found really interesting is like the hardcore debunkers and I guess you could say like the hardcore believers as well. So there, there are extremes on either side. You know, there are people. Yeah, yeah, but see- you have to have a balance. You have to have a balance. And I think, yeah, you've almost got those two camps of like, they're almost like hardcore extremists in, in some respects of, of their yeah. beliefs, aren't they? And it's, yeah, I like to put myself somewhere in the middle, um, just remain open-minded. But yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's a really, really interesting point you brought up there around, you know, how the whole sociological side of it, it it's, it's fascinating. It's almost like you can sit there with a bit of popcorn and watch what's going on. I mean, sometimes it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? The whole kind of the back and forth, the the bitchiness, the the vitriol that's there, and it's just like, yeah, it's it's just crazy. I mean, personally, I'm more I'm more interested in advancing research than 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 looking at that. But I think if you were <laughs> if you were so inclined, and that's your area of study, sociological side of it is 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 fascinating to watch, particularly on UFO Twitter. Yeah, and I think it's it's for me, it's more of a, a cautionary tale. You know, that's the way I look at it. Um, like the the hardcore debunkers and and the hardcore believers. The thing of like you know people see like a very what what appears to me to be quite a prosaic looking piece of film or something like that, hmm. and they'll claim they'll you know there'll be these proclamations that it's a craft, and you can clearly see that it's a craft and blah blah blah. And then there's threads of people sort of like backing that up. But then just as bizarre is when you go onto some of the debunking kind of like um, message boards and you know the various threads and whatnot, and just as bizarre you know. Um, proclamations about oh it's clearly this you know and mm. it's clearly this it's obviously not anything anomalous and it's yeah it's bizarre that the extremes of either side to me are, are uh they're going a little bit overboard well, I mean, and, and somewhere in the middle is about right yeah absolutely i mean sometimes the the uh you know the the, the debunkers the actual like when you actually look at how they've debunked something it, it's so outlandish it's actually less believable than than the the opposing uh um explanation for it can't get my words out then it, yeah it, it just it, it just defies belief it's like hang on a minute for that to happen i mean i'm, I'm not a st- uh, i'm not a mathematician or anything or do anything around statistics but if you worked out statistics like the actual probability of that some of these debunker things being true compared to the uh, the alternate explanation i mean it must outweigh it massively on some of these ones you know you'd have to have just the right angle of this for a bird to go across to do this to do that and you just think come on let's just Let's just put it in. You might not want to go full believer, but let's just put it in the you can't explain it category rather than the trying to explain something that you're never going to be able to explain with it. It just sounds ridiculous. Um, yeah. yeah, it just defies. Sometimes it just defies belief. It's like you need to take a step back, be a bit more objective about it. And I think sometimes people are too too um, engrossed in it, aren't they? They're too indebted into it, and that they they set out, like I said before, with that belief to debunk. I'm going to debunk it. They form that belief, and and that's it. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter how crazy it sounds. Um, I think people need to be a bit more, a bit more objective sometimes. Like, yeah, I mean, you summed it up perfectly to begin with there, really. Um, you know, as soon as it becomes a belief, for me, that's something that I personally try and avoid, you know. Um, hmm. But at the end of the day, it is it is each to their own as well with those kinds of things. But just going back to uh, what we were talking about earlier with the doors of perception, something I know we've discussed offline a little bit as well, is the, the link to sort of consciousness and altered states of reality. Mm. And uh, an area that I find really fascinating is is substances such as DMT, um, you know, psilocybin and other psychedelics as well. But I think particularly DMT, we're talking about like, you know, if you just take a step back for a second with the UFO phenomenon, you've got people having experiences with entities and and strange, you know, paranormal things going on and very unusual uh, experiences. And when you're talking about people who have DMT experiences, People are having strange experiences with entities and, you know, bizarre things going on in their experiences. It's, it's actually quite quite similar in a way. And, yeah, it's an area that I'm going to be digging into a lot more as I go along, but I wonder if you've got any thoughts on on that. Yeah, I mean, the parallels are, are startling, aren't they? There's, there clearly is a lot of crossover between what people experience when they have a so-called alien encounter versus an entity encounter with the machine elves, DMT, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to refer to them as, there is definitely some, a lot of similarities there. Um, 
you know, DNT seems to somehow switch off parts of the normal daily functioning filter that we have. Um, you know, we only see, we talk about the electro, um, um, electromagnetic spectrum. You know, we only see a small amount of the visible light spectrum. There's, there's a whole other things we can't see. X-rays. I think you've, you know, you spoke about this on your pod before, and I know we've discussed about it. So many other aspects of that light spectrum, we, that 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 spectrum we can't see. Um, you know, but other animals can. We go back to other animals and what they can. You know, BC and BC and ultraviolet things. Like, you know, bats use um, sonar. You know, there's always different things, and we only see what we need to see to survive as human beings. Uh, but DMT, those sort of psychedelics seem to somehow, you know, disrupt that filter that we have, that daily filter. And then we start to see other things coming through. Um, and it's really fascinating. And, and I, I think I, I, I ponder, you know, is is that what's happening when people have an alien encounter or a UFO encounter? You know, is somehow their doors of perception are opening up? Some, you know, that, that everyday filter is switching off or it's dumbing down whatever's happening it's now allowing all this other stuff to come in. You know, it may, it may just be natural and it's always there. We just can't see it. Um, and then, yeah, suddenly it's open to us and we get a little peek behind the curtain. I, th- I think that, I think that could well be what's going on. There's definitely a link there. And I think more needs to be looked at between both, both areas. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite researchers out there is, is a, a British researcher called Anthony peak. I think I've mentioned him to you before, Frank, really good guy. Again, he's someone that, that looks at it from a, an objective standpoint, does the science, you know, doesn't just go, well, this is what it is. He actually backs it up with cutting edge science, looks at the science behind it. Well, what is the mechanism that can make this work? How would that work? What does it look like? You know, and he looks at all manner of things from encounters with entities, DMT, near-death experiences, the whole shebang, you know, all this related phenomenon. Um, like I said earlier, you know, it all needs to be looked at holistically together. And, and Anthony Peake does that. Um, and he's very spot on i think when it comes to the altered states of consciousness and dmt he's on something there and he's working with some really cool researchers um i think you've mentioned um andrew gallimore before around the dmt side of things and the Mm -hmm. trials that have been done there yeah there's some really really good researchers out there that are sort of cutting edge looking at this kind of thing but it's certainly fascinating you know what what are people seeing when they're when they're in these other states it's yeah, it's it's really fascinating, and the thing is as well is uh, a point that I, I want to make um, just for anybody who's listening to this is that that's not a case of minimizing any experiences that people have who have experienced UFOs or entities or anything like that. Because no, not at all. And, and I just yeah, want to say, I've, I've experienced the stuff myself. I'm not going to talk about that in this in this conversation. So not at all. No, I'm not belittling anyone's experience at all. It's just trying to find a you know, what's causing that is there another explanation sorry to cut in frank but just yeah it's a good point to make yeah yeah no all good all good but yeah i think it's um there's a sort of a stigma with these kind of substances and and these kind of experiences there's a similar stigma in a way to what there is with ufos and and people have minimized like ufo experiences by saying oh well you know so it must be tripping sort of thing oh you've been taking acid or what have you been smoking or whatever it might be but actually, again, I think that's just kind of a, a very simplistic way of, of looking at it. You know, a DMT in particular, I think is quite interesting because it exists actually just in plants in the natural world. It's not something that we refine into existence. It just exists in the world and it's been around all this time. And as you say, basically, it's removing some of the filters that we've evolved for survival as human beings, you know, and yeah. allowing you to potentially, I mean, again, there's different schools of thought, you know, on that even, you know, is it, is it just something that your brain is concocting as, as a hallucination? Um, or is it something that you actually experience a realm that already exists that you're just having the filters taken down, which is, mm. I think it's the latter. And, and it, the, the similarities of entities that people experience, well, like you say, there's been proper studies now and, and the studies are getting better and better and more thorough as time goes along it really seems that people have very similar experiences with very similar entities and report similar things so it would suggest that there is a lot more to it than just a a kind of a concoction made by your brain for some kind of Mm. confused illusion you know yeah and another thing worth mentioning frank is you know people go into these auto states of consciousness and sometimes they retrieve information that then later turns out to be true you know, and we see this with things like remote viewer. We see it with people that can astral travel and, and go into lucid dream states and things like that. You know, uh, near, near death experiences is another thing as well. People that have had out of body experiences and they've actually 
you know, they've seen things happen or they've seen information. It might be there's a certain room in a hospital they've seen that they, they've never seen or they've overheard things that people have said. And there's all these different things. It's kind of like, well, if, if it's just your brain creating it, then how would they have got that? So where's that information coming from? And then we get into the whole conversation is, of, is consciousness received? Or is it is it something that's in the brain or is it external? Are we more like a, a receiver? We're actually receiving it, which is personally what I think is more likely, you know. And then where's that information coming from? You know, is there a field out there? You know, some people call it the Akashic field, whatever you want to call it, the holographic universe, whatever you want to call it. Where's that information coming from? So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and, yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day long. It's, it's really interesting, it's particularly when you start talking about all the states of consciousness and you – in DMT and, and the, the correlation between that and entity encounters and things. Yeah, yeah, it is it is again, it's a, it's a huge area. You could do a, a couple of hours podcast, you know, just on that really. But how kind of close do you think we are to? We'd mentioned earlier about the sort of government disclosure movement in the states and things like that. How close do you think we are to having all of this kind of thing as part of the conversation? feels like we're away a way off to be to be quite honest we're only just kind of accepted that there are some strange things going on that are being caught on military yeah. sensors so i think we're some way off that i think we are yeah and i think this is why you know we can't rely on the government which you know is a kind of an inverted commas what is the government the government's a huge bureaucratic machine uh, there's no single entity in government i know a lot of people talk about this as if it's one thing it's not um but yeah i don't think we can rely on the government to forward this advance this there might be little aspects they can but i think you know we need to be looking to uh academia we need to be looking at science we need to be looking at the everyday people like you and i that are interested in this people listening uh you know get your head in the books start asking questions yourself you know um it's not going to come it's not going to come to you you know I, I see it on twitter all the time people go yeah, what is that it's like well go and read a book like everyone wants everything instant don't they, they want everything just there on the table you know we're in this kind of like dopamine hit scroll up twitter watch a binge a whole series on Netflix without, you know, stopping. We don't wait a week. We want everything now. And, you know, this, this topic doesn't work like that. You've got to put the the work in and it's not, no one, no one's going to just chuck it on your desk and go, there you go. That's, there's all the answers. Um, so get back to your point. No, I don't think we're anywhere near that. I think we need to, this is why we need to bring all these different aspects together. You know, looking at those kind of really cool uh, research endeavors that are going on. In, in, in relation to sort of cutting edge stuff like we were saying around DMT research, stuff like that. we need to be looking at all this. And I think that's where you're going to start seeing answers. It's not going to come from the government, whatever the government is, whether you think the government is or isn't. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a very good point. It is nuanced as well, isn't it? Because like the fact is at the end of the day, if you look at it very, very broadly, even those people in OSAP kind of are the government in a way. So there are people within certain government departments who are very open-minded to all of this stuff and then there's also a lot of other people in the the wider government who have no idea about any of this stuff even exists and then there's probably people as well within governments that are actually dead against it and don't want to see any money spent on this and you know for, for whatever reason that they may have but i mean i think that's i'm very open to all of this you know the or I try to be there's certain aspects that i do struggle with a bit um you know uh, particularly things like Bigfoot, there's a stigma there deeply entrained into me from, you know, it's one of the things that I kind of struggle to accept as being a part of this, but the more you sort of understand the bigger picture of the the strangeness and, and the way that it could link into, you know, a, a more sort of um, complicated reality than what we currently understand, the more you can sort of see how that might fit in and it's not necessarily the abominable snowman so that you see mm. in cartoons something much more complex and nuanced than that but i think my thing with it is that you know the 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 government disclosure movement based on things like the nimitz case with lots of sensor data and lots of credible witnesses that that's kind of what i try and i suppose focus a lot more of my energy on because i feel like if we if we manage to go down that route then that could open up conversations down the line about some of the wider stuff because i i do feel myself having looked into this that that's where it inevitably goes so if you kind of take the public on that journey and i think that's perhaps what lou elizondo and chris mellon have tried to do as well they've mm. realized that actually all the wider stuff it's a bit too soon for that so let's start baby steps as they say yeah you can't just jump in the deep end can you and it, you know yeah it's part of the journey hopefully it's one aspect i don't like i don't think we can rely just on that 
because you know particularly when we're talking about governments we're talking about funding priorities change governments change you know what's what's popular one minute could be the rug can be pulled from underneath and then suddenly you're back at square one so it's about keeping that momentum going and not just you know giving yourself multiple options and giving yourself a bit of resilience not just relying on putting all your eggs in one basket really um so yeah we can get government looking at it if we can get academia looking at it we can get your everyday citizen looking at it i think you know you stand a better chance don't you the odds are more likely that you're going to get somewhere definitely and i think that's what's particularly interesting as well like whenever i get a bit burned out by waiting for the government to to disclose what they know you can focus on some of the more you know civilian research groups like for example the galileo project you know a, a really well funded well-resourced organization that are really trying to take this seriously and, and really make positive steps to figure out what's going on you could also look at things like uh, you know people forming groups and doing things like c5 and you know the various contact work and things like that so there's a lot of different avenues that you can look into um, and it doesn't have to just be solely coming from the government yeah absolutely you know everyone's got a part to play haven't they yeah, very much so. But interestingly, uh, you, we mentioned about you know the the kind of being patient with governments to uh, to engage the public on this this topic. Um, the UK, um, let's talk about the UK's involvement with this and and the sort of reluctance really to discuss the topic at all. You know, the yeah. UK are pretty notoriously quiet on all this. Bit baffling, really, I suppose, considering how how much things are now progressing in the states, which is our closest ally. So why, why do you think the UK is so reluctant to engage with this topic? Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? I mean, that's what I always try and do is look at everything from a UK UK perspective and, and how this relates to the UK. Um, but yeah, we've been very quiet on it and it's it's the same bog standard response, isn't it? And I always find this interesting. I'd love to know if, if, if this is on the MOD intranet or something as like, you know, recommended response when someone asks about UFOs or anything unexplained because it doesn't matter whether you write to an MP, do a FOIA request to the MOD or it doesn't matter what, what avenue of contact you have in relation to UFOs. You always get the same bog standard in over 50 years. I'm paraphrasing here, but in over 50 years, we've not seen any uh, any defence interest to the UK. There's no no threat to the UK, blah, 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 blah. We're not interested. We have no opinion on it. And that's that's the bog standard response you get. It doesn't matter. And you know, that hasn't changed for years. We're still getting that response now. I mean, you know, um, we've, we've both had um, stuff going off recently, and we've, we've had responses come back. And it's just like... Yeah, why is that? Part of me, you know, wants to believe in this grand conspiracy that you know they know loads, they're holding all the secrets and and some secret program and all that. But you know, the more I look at it, and the more, the more I know how bureaucratic governments can be, and, and government departments, public entities, and, and things, the more you think, well, is it more of a fact that it will cost too much money? The cost versus benefit just isn't there. What are you going to get from it? I mean, realistically, you're studying something that's not actually tangible. So, how is that good use of public money? Um, and you know, some and some bureaucrats gonna gonna say that, and they're gonna pull the plug, aren't they? And say, well, why are you spending money on that? How do you how do you tell people that actually there is something flying around? We don't know what it is. It's not done anything yet. Uh, it's a bit weird. You know, you're just not going to sell that to the average Brit, are you? Now we're open minded. We'd be like, yeah, that's cool. Like, chuck some money at that. That sounds good. Could benefit humanity. But the average Brit isn't interested in that. Like I said, they wanna they wanna stream Netflix. They wanna see who's on. You know, celebrity love island or whatever and, and look at twitter and facebook or whatever so yeah I, I think a big part of it is there's just no appetite for it yeah yeah it's, it's a tricky one i think I was, i've mentioned this to, to somebody else the other day on one of the other episodes i was recording it's almost like we're sort of being dragged kicking and screaming to the uh to the realization that we're going to have to accept the government's going to have to fess up that some all right there may be a bit of a national security concern here you know which is actually going to be a bit embarrassing i suppose when they finally get to that stage because the americans are closest ally and they're yeah you know in no uncertain terms they're saying that this is a potential national security risk you know with all these various things like the nuclear missiles being shut down and stuff like that Sooner or later, that's going to come to the surface. But just quickly, um, I found, uh, so I was just looking for just then, I found the actual paragraph that you're talking about, um, yes, yeah, yeah. the uh, the MODs thing. Because, um, yeah, we've been doing some... Uh, some bit I think of- every researcher would have had had this he like burned into the back of this skull <laughs> in the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I might get this tattooed on my arm. <laughs> uh, it says, you may also find it helpful to know that MOD has no opinion on the existence of either extraterrestrials 
unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena. In over 50 years, no sighting reported to the department has indicated the existence of any military threat to the UK and it is deemed more valuable to prioritise MOD staff towards other defence-related activities. For this reason, MOD ceased to investigate reports of UFOs or UAP in 2009. But as I say, that line is going to be more and more difficult to justify with the way the Americans are going, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, that's officially they, they stopped investigating it. You know, as much as I think, you know, it's not they don't they don't see it as in the public interest to spend public money on it. I can't for the life of me believe there's no there's nowhere in the MOD or nowhere in government that's interested in this. You know, even if it's just a little enclave somewhere that's, that's looking at it, a small team, you know, sharing information with the US or whatever or its allies. That that to me seems like it's more likely they're still you know someone's interested in it somewhere. I mean, go back to the Project Condyme report. You know, that's twenty two years old now, I believe. And there's a paragraph in there around you know we need to be again. I'm paraphrasing. I haven't got it in front of me, but we need to be looking at you know there's a potential to harness this you know this UAP technology. There's a potential use for it, and that this has been briefed to MOD technology managers. You know, this is twenty years ago, so you're not telling me that they've suddenly going, oh, no, actually, we spent all that money doing that report and looking at it. We think, yeah, there might be some military applications or some useful applications for this technology. We'll just forget about it. Of course not. Something's, something's happened with that. That was a recommendation in the report. So where are they at with that now, you know, 20-odd years down the line? So, yeah, publicly, they might not be interested in it, but someone somewhere is interested in it. Now, whether that's in government, again, in inverted commas, whether it's gone into the private sector or academia, which makes more sense because that's where expertise lies. Um, but, yeah. The UK at some point, you know, it's, it's, it's getting tighter and tighter for them, isn't it? You know, they, the, the, the grip around the secrets and, and what they do know is, is, is getting tighter and tighter. Um, and like you say, we're, we're the we're closest allies. You know, I mean, we share, I don't know how many people know this, but, you know, there, there's, the, there's a particular um, act that America and, and the UK share nuclear secrets, you know, and you can't really get much more secret than sharing nuclear technology. So... I would say UFOs would be UFO UAP tech or anything unexplained would be up there with that, wouldn't it? So it would seem strange that you'd be sharing nuclear secrets, but not not this. <laughs> It'd be a bit weird. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I'm sure there there must be things going on. Like you said, the the interesting thing about the Condine report was was for me anyway two things: the recommendation to look into it further because it might have potential military applications or i'm paraphrasing as well but something along the lines of that so if that is recommended to look into it further because it might be useful for the military then nobody's going to just have ignored that 20 years later they've not done anything and the other thing is is that the reason that they say for justifying not investigating it much further for the time being is that it was deemed to be no you know threat to national security but again, you know, the way things are looking with America, that's getting harder and harder to justify. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, how it plays out over the next few years. I think one of the problems we have here is just that there's there's not as much public interest as to what there is in the States. I think in, in America, the, the I mean, this is the impression I get. I don't live in America. Never even been, actually, but I would love to. If anyone wants to buy me a plane ticket, it'd be uh, most <laughs> welcome. Um, but, yeah, I, I just feel like over here there's still, like I speak to people, you know, acquaintances, friends, colleagues, and stuff like that, and now and again I drop in a little UFO-related uh, thing, mm-hmm. and generally the response is kind of ridicule still. Yeah, I think in America it's perhaps a bit less, and over here we've still got a bit more of that stigma living on, you know. Yeah, we haven't had the exposure, have we? I mean, you know, you've got... Uh, prominent programs programming out in America now, like 60 Minutes. It's been on the news, and then you know they're not playing the X Files theme tune anymore, are they? And, and things like that. Um, although they were the other day when Ross Coulthard did an interview, and then they soon stopped it when he called him out, which I thought was great. Well done, Ross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we, you know, we, if that was in the UK, we would still have that, you know. And I think it is about changing that mindset, isn't it? No, this is a serious topic. There's actually something to this. Let's look at it. What's the benefit if we do look at it? Well, actually, we could have we could have some really cool tech here that might benefit us. Um, unfortunately, with all of this stuff, someone will always try and weaponize it first and foremost. That's the world we live in. Um, but yeah, I think it's like you say, it's going to, it's inevitable that the opinions are going to have to change. Surely it must do. I just don't understand how it, how it can't, you know, and like you say, it's in legislation now in the U S that they should be coordinating with allies and, and we're one of their closest allies. So, um, yeah, watch this space, I guess it'd be interesting to see what, what we do share with them. I mean, in the UK, 
we, we've got a number of sensor systems. You know, Chris Mellon talks about existing kit that's already out there that could be repurposed at very, very little cost, if, if any cost. It's just about absorbing that data and looking for that data that, that relates to UAP. We've got RAF filing dowels in Yorkshire, you know, one of the, the best syst- uh, phased array radar systems on the planet, you know, forms part of the ballistic um, missile early warning system. Uh, it's looking 360 around, you know, most most of the um, the North Hemisphere. So that is capable enough to track a coke can at 3,000 miles up in, up in into space. So you're not telling me it can't be repurposed to look for UAP. Um, it's more than likely it just filters that out because they know it's not relevant. Oh, we're not interested in that. A Russian plane can't do that, so we're not interested in that. Well, actually, let's start looking at a day. Or even if you're not interested in that day, sanitize it and let academia look at it. You know, let other people look at it who are interested in it, and let's try and get to the bottom of what that means. Um, so, yeah, we've got stuff in the UK that, that could be used for that. I saw last week, you know, the UK's got a massive push for uh, the UK Space Command. You know, they really want to, the government really want to push the UK being a, a big player in space. And we've got two spaceports open, opening this year. We're going to have rockets launching from the UK for the first time in 60 years. <clears throat> so, and also they'd signed, they've signed numerous agreements with, with US Space Force. Um, and we're actually having a few satellites launched with the NRO in America um, in, the, in the US. And, you know, people have speculated that they hold data on UAP as well with the whole geospatial intelligence and the imagery satellites they have. So we're, we're launching two satellites with them. So there's already that coordination. There's already that sharing of information and technology. So it makes sense that this would just be an extension of that. Uh, and I'd like to think that we, you know, we do start to see that. I just don't know if it's going to be the MOD pushing it, or if it's kind of they're going to be dragged along by uh, <laughs> by by our friends uh, in in the states, which is probably more likely. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about that with the can of coke detection ability and all the rest of it. Um, I think um, we've spoke about. I, I did a a FOIA request to the UK Hydrographic Office, which basically yeah. has under undersea monitoring capabilities. And they actually came back with a quite interesting response, which was basically to say that they have pretty sophisticated uh, sensor capabilities under the ocean, mm-hmm. but their systems basically disregard things which are not actually kind of like valuable data points. So any any anything that they consider to be outside of, um, you know, a, an underwater obstacle that might be a, a shipping route hazard. Um, or you know a submarine things like they have very narrow parameters as to what they actually log with their with their system and um i've actually followed it up with a a request i can't remember if i told you this already um off, offline but i've actually followed up quite a few of the FOIA requests that i've had back and i followed that one up actually saying okay you're saying that the system you know sort of like doesn't log anything anomalous but have you detected anything anomalous over the last 10 years? You know, is there anything that's going above a certain speed, like say more than what uh, any human made craft would, would be going at? And uh, is there any, any other part of government or the military that actually does look at those types of things just in case, because you've got to think from a national security point of view, what if it is some kind of really advanced, you know, adversarial sub or some kind of like mm. underwater drone or, or something like that so i suppose the question there is do they just not log things that are anomalous because they don't consider it to be the data that they're actually looking for or is there a, some kind of a secret department that does log that stuff and are looking into it kind of like a uk a tip or something like that and i suppose that's the big mystery yeah. isn't it really it's really interesting i mean a lot of those systems are very automated so they they would literally just filter out what they would call noise you know so whether it's a radar system whether it's an underwater you know sonar sensor system it would just filter out stuff that they deem irrelevant it's just background noise they don't need to know about it it's almost like oh that's impossible so let's just forget about that it must be an anomaly let's not worry about that and then it probably just filters yeah. that out um but the fact that it can pick that up Someone should be looking at that, shouldn't they? And even if they're not interested in it, they should l- allow someone else to have that that data. Um, but I, I, I can't believe that nobody's interested in that, even if it is just a small team, small department somewhere theorizing what this this might be about. It's interesting you say about the underwater stuff because I've, I've spoken to someone who, um, who used to be in the Navy, um, specialist areas of the Navy, shall we say. And, you know, we're talking a good 20, 30 years ago now, um, still during the Cold War. They, they detected... You know frequencies and signals that just should not exist. They're not known to. They're not known to um, be a signature of anything that that we have. 
um, or that adversaries have. So what the hell was that under the water? And I know there's there's loads of different people that have you know mentioned this before. But what what is that they're detecting down there? We know it's not animal life. We know it's not anything we've got. So what the hell is it? What, why is that? And why is it underwater? It's just again more questions than answers. But someone should be looking at that. And if we've got the sense systems to allow us to do it, why the hell are we not? Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's what I tried to do with my follow ups to the uh, the hydrographic office was to say, all right, so your system can detect things, but you don't store that information because it's not really the sort of information you're actually directly looking for. But does your system still log it? But just, you know, is, is it somewhere in, in a database? Because I'd, I'd very much like to know about it if it is. So we'll have to just see what that comes back with. But just to finish up on, um, if you're all right for a, a few more minutes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a few things that I really wanted to uh, hear you talk about, which is something that I don't know much about, despite the fact that it's right in my backyard. Um, which is some UK areas of interest, like uh, the northeast Yorkshire coast and Winter Hill and mm. uh, Cannock Chase, I believe, as well. So you're quite interested in those particular yeah, so areas. I, yeah, so I try and, uh, you know, there's a lot of US stuff on there, which is great, but I try and keep things, um, I try and keep, you know, a lid on what's going on in the UK as well. Um, and yeah, there's some really good stuff going on in the northeast coast. Um, Paul Sinclair. Really good boots on the ground research. If no, if, if no one's aware of him, I highly recommend you check him out. Um, he, he's the author of the Truth Proof series. Collected loads of accounts now. Does really good research out on the ground on the northeast Yorkshire coast, uh, around Bempton Cliffs and all around there. Yeah, really interesting stuff up there. It almost seems to be like the UK's equivalent of Skinwalker Ranch. Um, and get back to what we were saying earlier on around John Kill. I, I do believe there are these window areas, and for whatever reason. You know, phenomena seems to manifest itself in certain locations more than others. I don't know why, but it seems to do that. Um, so, yeah, Paul Sinclair is doing some really good research up there. Everything, all, the whole spectrum of phenomena, whether you're talking UFOs, strange lights out in the North Sea, magnetic anomalies, um, people having, you know, missing time, strange cryptid beings, you name it, it's been going on up there. Really interesting place. Uh, you mentioned Winter Hill as well, which is quite close to you, I believe, Frank. Um, exactly yeah just yeah. around the corner I'd, I'd like to get down there at some point again same sort of thing um yeah whole manner of weirdness going on around there um some macabre stuff as well i forgot to mention as well up in the northeast you know paul sinclair has been um investigating uh sheep mutilations animal mutilations as well similar sort of things happen around winter hill as well steve mayer another uh, good uk researcher um he, he studied a lot of this back in the 90s and early 2000s around winter hill as well uh, and there's other people out there now. I think Mick McLaren's a researcher around there, and Chris Turner as well, filmmaker Chris Turner's got again got got some really good films and, and clips out there. He he's got his own um, podcast uh, YouTube channel as well and podcast. They're doing some really good stuff around there. You know, and there's there's some mysterious things going on around there, and, and it's kind of unexplained, and it seems to attract different phenomena. So yeah, Winter Hills another area. Uh, you mentioned Canic Chase as well. Uh, again, we see all manner of madness from UFOs to supposed Bigfoot or as it's called in the UK, the wood woes, the wild man, um, cryptid sightings of kind of strange wolf creatures and things like that, all this stuff. But again, all of this stuff has been seen in places like Skinwalker Ranch. So there's clearly a link there. People are seeing it in these sort of tight knit locations. These specific areas seem to be magnetizing all of this phenomena there. So it's not just happening you know, over over in the US, it's happening all over the place. It's not just happening here; it's happening all over the world. Um, and I think there's, if people look hard enough, there's probably something in your back door that's, uh, you know, just behind you that's happening as well. You know, really close to you. I mean, I know we've spoke before, and you spoke to Max as well. I don't live that far away from Max Max McCabe as well. You know, Peterborough seems to be an area, a strange area, that, that's got some weird stuff going on as well. So, I'm sure the more you look into it, and the more you look in historic accounts as well, most places have some sort of uh, account of weirdness or, or some sort of phenomena occurring throughout the years uh, what that means we, we don't know but i think we, we need to look not only what's happening now but also in the historical accounts to build up that pattern and start looking at you know, where are good places to get on the ground and research and um, there's only so much you can do behind a keyboard isn't there at some point you've got to get out on the ground and actually get your boots on the ground and start looking at this stuff absolutely mate and yeah peterborough definitely sounds pretty interesting um yeah, the uh, the the Mac McCabe thing, and uh, there's a uh, there's also another uh, case that that somebody has come to me with, uh, which I actually talk about in the Max McCabe episode, which I think by the time this episode goes out, the Max McCabe one will already be out, and I talked about it a little bit there, but basically, 
a listener of the show who actually lives in uh, or, or was working in, in, in uh, RAF Wittering at the time, uh, which is actually directly next to that area that you're talking about, isn't it? Mm. Um, they actually witnessed a glowing, um, kind of a like a fiery glowing orb thing um, hovering over the top of RAF Wittering, the actual the uh, the RAF base there, and did some unexplainable manoeuvres and then shot off at an unbelievable speed. Probably talk about it at some point in a bit more detail on the podcast as well. Um, but yeah, just a fascinating area. And like you say, some point in the future, I'm going to get the old boots on the ground and, and get down there, I think, and come and have a cup of tea with you and Definitely. Uh, yeah, check out the, what's the going on. In, what's interesting around the RF Wittering thing, though, Frank, is you know back during the Cold War, that, that housed the, the V-bombers, which would have been a nuclear um, squadron back then. So they would have had nuclear weapons as well. And you know, there's a potential nuclear connection. It's often mentioned, isn't it, with UAP sighted, where there's UAPs, there's nukes and things. So again, you know, what's what's the crack there? exactly well i think that's probably about a good time to uh call it a call it a night really mate so thank you very much uh for for joining me would you like to just let the listeners know where they can find you on uh on twitter if you can remember your uh yeah handle? yeah so i'm on twitter yeah if anyone wants to follow me or have a chat more than happy to, to do that i like conversing with people on there it's uh so it's um at uk underscore uap so at uk underscore uap and uh yeah, hopefully um, people have found that interesting. Thanks for your time, Frank. Appreciate you having me on here. It's always good to have a chat with you. Uh, and enjoy your holiday. Absolutely. I think you've earned it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just, but it's funny because by the time this episode goes out, I'll have actually finished my holiday <laughs> quite some time. Oh, well, you can tell later. everyone about it then. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I've, this is the final episode of a really hectic week. Of I've actually recorded five episodes in seven days. Wow. So it's been pretty intense. So um, yeah. So after the, after this, right now, I'm going to be going on holiday for a week. So it's going to be very nice. And thank you very much uh, for that. And uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. So thanks again, mate. Cheers, Frank. UFO Podcast.